Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What do you want to go after in life unapologetically? Are you willing to be strategic and give yourself the intentionality you deserve? Jenny Wood is an executive at Google who helps people thrive in their careers. So much so, she founded and led Own Your Career, one of Google's largest and fastest growing career development initiatives. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. This quote by James Clear, author of the best-selling book Atomic Habits, has helped lead Jenny to launch her own site dedicated to helping you get what you truly want. With Jenny, it starts with being strategic and deciding what to do or what not to do when it comes to anything in life, be it your career, parenting, or relationships. Having systems in place that help you to drop, delegate, do, or delay are all central tenets in helping you get to where you want to go. Listen to Jenny describe her flip system to help decide if you're ready to make a career change, launch your side hustle, or in Jenny's case, chase her future husband off a rail platform in New York City. Please enjoy my conversation with Jenny Wood. So Jenny Wood, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me here, Paul. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and before like we even started hitting record, I, was, uh, I had told you the story about like how I was anxiously, well, not anxiously, but really excitedly looking forward to this because it's been a rough week. We've had several uh, um, funerals over the past few days. My daughter turns 10 tomorrow. And it's it's like the whole circle of life, like a lot of ups, lots of, lots of downs, but uh, we're, we're, we're managing through. So, you know, this, this podcast has been a labor of love for, for me for about two years now. And the, the people that I have on it, like yourself, and the feedback that I get from from listeners has just been amazing, and it it really helps, um, you know, keep things going. Well, I'm so thrilled to be here and to chat with you. And yes, this is what it's all about—a conversation between two people from which others can benefit. So, in in your expertise, which is in the the field of of career management, is one that I get often. And I don't care if it was before. I don't think it was the Great re- Resignation. I don't think it's as quiet quitting. I'd say a, another word, but my producer Matthew would bleep that out. You know, I, people care about their careers no matter what the situation was, pre COVID, before COVID. Um, but I think the one thing that COVID did is it, it did make people, I think, take a step back and really think about what they wanted, Some primarily because they had the time. And so before I go rambling around, let's come back to you for a second and have you walk our audience that, that won't know who necessarily you are. Talk to us about your background and how you came into being an expert in the field of career management. 
Absolutely. And and I would love to then get back to quiet quitting and great resignation and, and your your premise that people will always care about their careers and care about it a lot, uh, because I've I've got some some thoughts on that. But I I accidentally stumbled upon being this you know, career guidance. Uh, I don't know if expert is too strong of a word. It's not even my full-time job at Google. It is something I do as a passion project. I've been at Google for 16 years. I'm an executive at the company and in an organization that has nothing to do with people operations or HR. I run an operations team that basically sits between our sales and engineering teams. And yet all these people would come to me for mentorship and I would do a lot of one-on-ones. And then I had my own career transition from a sales team in New York City to a more technical team in Boulder, where I am currently. And in the six months that I was trying to navigate that job transition, I learned a couple things. So I wrote down a couple things. And then a couple things that I wrote down became this document that went a little bit viral. And then we put some nice design behind that document and it went really viral. And then that has turned into this program at Google called Own Your Career, which is being used by tens of thousands of Google employees to help them increase their impact and influence in their current role and or land their next role within the company. So this is how I've stumbled upon career guru-ness. And it's simply because I have a passion for helping others, helping lift other folks at Google. And now I you know, um, have other ways I like to help people outside of Google and truly help to coach people to be better than they think they can be. So I think that's an that's an excellent point for me to just dive right in because I I have experienced this personally, but I struggle with working with as many families and, and people that I do is that someone will have a interest in doing something, um, a passion, if you will. I I kind of I kind of have a dislike for that word because I think and and we've just met, but I would assume that people look to you because they had confidence that you could help them solve their problem, whatever it may have been with their career. And then you took advantage of that and said, okay, I'm going to turn this into, for lack of a better term, this side hustle to where I'm helping other people outside of Google, like expanding your, your network and reach. And so I know a lot of people have those same ambitions, if you will, but they don't take that step. And I don't know what it is. And I'd be interested to get your take on what it is because I know in the field of of financial planning, which is what I do, I know that very first step for people to pick up the phone or shoot me an email to say, hey, I know I need help. I know I need to meet. I am very empathetic that those people are scared out of their minds because they have no idea what to do or where this conversation is going to go. And I know it works the same way with the career as well. For me, the the key trigger of how did I decide to take this one-on-one mentorship at Google and scale it to something more broadly is actually feedback. And that's both positive and constructive feedback. So the I'll start with the constructive. We have a, a report at at Google that evaluates managers. So your direct reports, like our direct reports keep us accountable by by you know, giving us feedback on how we're doing as managers. And I got constructive feedback in 2021, I believe, around how I don't do enough to scale my 
stakeholder management skills. I don't do enough to scale my networking skills. I don't do enough to scale how I really lift up my team and you know, promote my team like a big cheerleader to executives at the company. And so I was simply asked to do more about it. And that's when I started to scale this more internally. And the, the, that's the constructive feedback. So I really paid attention to the constructive feedback. I didn't push against it. And it was kind of gentle, kind, constructive feedback, basically saying, do more of this thing that you seem to be kind of good at. But it was still constructive. It was Jenny is under leveraging a skill she has, and we would like her to leverage it more. That skill being networking, stakeholder management, you know, pumping up your team, et cetera. How could she do that at scale? So that is legit constructive feedback. Then there was positive feedback when I started doing a little bit of that, of that sounded like this, Jenny, this is really helpful. Wow. This is high impact. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You helped me get this role internally that I did not think I could get by using some of these very practical tips and tricks. So that was the positive feedback. And that positive feedback fueled me to double down on it. And the what I'm doing outside of Google is very, very different from Own Your Career. It's basically helping people get what they want unapologetically in all areas of life, professionally, you know, personally. And that was a result of additional positive feedback. I just launched a website. If you want to go to it, you can go to itsjennywood.com, itsjennywood.com. You can download a free guide for five tips to help you get what you want unapologetically. And that whole website is just a result of the fact that I'm writing a book. And the fact that I'm writing a book is because of more positive feedback of people looking at my content at Google and saying, Jenny, you should write a book. And so it's simply acting on both the this external stimuli around constructive and positive feedback and believing it, honoring it, doubling down on it, and then taking action. Because like you mentioned, Paul, it's really hard to take that first step. So for me, that first step, a number of people said, you should think about writing a book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in my five-year plan, maybe my 10-year plan, more likely my never plan. And then someone, one of the people who had said that was an author herself. And I said, well, out of curiosity, what, what is the first step to writing a book? So I can kind of note that for 10 years down the line. She said, well, you have to find an agent. And I said, well, I've heard that people send out a hundred inquiries to agents and never, and they get told no on all of them. She said, well, you know, there's this person giving a Q and A an agent doing a Q&A next week, it's free. Why don't you just go to the Q&A? And so I did. And I came off of mute. I asked a question. My question ended up sounding a little bit more like a pitch <laughs> unintentionally, but I think I'm a little bit of a seller at heart. And then the whole thing kind of snowballed. So again, it was acting on feedback from somebody that said, you should think about writing a book. And here's that first step you can take to make it less scary. And then I kind of stumbled into the rest of it. And now I am writing a book. I was wondering when the book was coming and now you just answered that for us all. So... <laughs> Um, well, there you go. It, it, so basically, like with what you just laid out, you're talking about the last year is when you actually made this pivot into doing more outside. Is that correct? I mean, the website launched two weeks ago, so it's all really, really fresh. Though what I will say is again, acting on the feedback of how much this was helping people within Google, I did start posting on LinkedIn nearly every day because it feels great to help people. It's very exciting to see somebody who's stuck on something get unstuck, especially on a topic around career, which can be very important, keep you up at night, all encompassing, exciting, scary, fun, overwhelming, nerve wracking. These are all 
adjectives that we could associate with careers. So the idea of helping more people in all areas of life, personally and professionally, or you know, relationship-wise, I, I figured it would be a disservice if I didn't start sharing more of my ideas on social media, which felt so uncomfortable to me, Paul. My hands were shaking the first time I posted on LinkedIn. A friend of mine literally sat next to me and he's like, you can do it. You can press post. You can do it. And and so that, that is I started That doing. is amazing. Let me interrupt you a minute because if pe- <laughs> for people that have not followed you, you are like a like a, a LinkedIn natural. So it, that, that to me is amazing that you had that, that fear going in, even like hitting send and like probably the, the hand shaking, like, do I hit the, hit the button or not? Oh, totally. And then, and then for weeks or months, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't post on my phone. I'm like, if I do it from mobile, it's going to mess it all up. I only know how to do this from desktop, which is like, so shows how not natural I am at this. And then I've been encouraged by my agent to start posting on Twitter. Um, and you know, as part of this whole website launch to post on Twitter and, uh, and, and that I'm like still totally stuck. I've posted on Twitter one time, maybe twice. I think it was maybe multiple posts in one day, like, uh, I didn't even know what the language of Twitter tweets conversation, a, a multiple multi tweets, scenario. I don't even know what it's called. And, and I still have only done the one. I have not yet gone over the, the Twitter block. Like I have the LinkedIn block and I know I'll get there, but I haven't yet. So it's, it's, I love that you're bringing that up because it also talks about, or it highlights just perception and imposter syndrome around. I can be seen as someone who seems fluid at a certain platform, AKA LinkedIn. You're saying it seems like I'm a natural and on the other side of that screen, I can feel very insecure, very nervous, very unnatural, very clunky, very awkward. And it's, it's in- interesting to think about the two sides of that coin for that or anything else in life when we're evaluating somebody else seemingly competent in something when they they themselves feel like they're still struggling, which I'm sure applies to a ton of areas of life. Yeah. And, and actually, that gets me to a, a really... Uh, Good, good. Hopefully, a good question. Where people they can become so comfortable in their current role, even though they may absolutely despise it, and they have this feeling that you kind of just described, where it's like, well, I know what I have here. Um, maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side. What's the other average? Uh, um, uh, slow, like the 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 devil I know is better than the devil I don't. Maybe. Sure. And I think that that prevents a lot of people from making that initial move. Like what could be as, as, as first step is just putting, you know, your resume together and not even applying for a job. How do you, how do you walk somebody off? How do you talk somebody off the edge or walk somebody back from the edge on that? When you know that, Hey, you can, you can do this. Like I know you well enough that you can take these first steps. The first steps are always hard. And if the question is, is it time for a career change for me? Is it time for a pivot? Is it time to make my side hustle my full-time gig? Any question that somebody might be asking, I, I like to think about how do I know when it's time to change roles or how do I know when it's time to flip roles, which stands for F-L-I-P, fun, learning, impact, and personal. 
fun? Am I having fun or am I rolling my eyes in my team meeting thinking, oh, tried that six quarters ago. That's never going to work. Am I learning? And I mean, incremental learning, not just excuse me, I mean, step function learning, not just incremental learning, because in finance, like you're in or in tech or so many other areas, we'll have incremental learning every day. But step function learning is when there are a couple emails in our inbox that make us scared or give us butterflies in our stomach because we're new to the role, we haven't learned the ropes yet, and we simply are on that massive growth curve of, of learning new things. I is for impact. What's your business impact? Because if your business impact is optimal, then that's typically pretty good for your career. And then P is personal. What's going on in your personal life? Maybe your partner moved to LA and you're in New York. That's a valid reason to want to think about a career change. Or maybe your your day job is so stressful and such a bad match with your skill set and talent that it keeps you up at night or you never have time to see friends and family because your stress, stress level is so high. So to me, it's, there's almost this precursor of, of before anybody even takes the first move or before I, I were to encourage somebody to say, here's what you do next. I almost want them to take a step back, go through that flip framework and evaluate, is this the right time? Should you, and then based on how you answer FLIP, maybe you do want to dance with the devil, you know, because you are having fun and you are learning and okay, maybe your P is not great. Your personal life, you know, you're not sleeping enough, but you can solve that in other ways, but maybe that would tell you you're better off dancing with the devil, you know, or it might be that you're miserable and not having fun. You're not learning anything. Your impact is clearly not there and your personal life is, is garbage. And then you want to dance with the devil. You don't know, even if it's scary, overwhelming, intimidating, nerve wracking, uncertain. I've heard this phrase before and I forget where it came from. I know it was in a book that I read somewhere. It was feel the fear, feel Feel the fear and do it anyways. Oh, I love um, that. I know I don't, and I wish I could uh, say Achieve who that was from. Yeah, yeah sure. source that, but I, I'm drawing a blank right now. You know, let me let me stick with the la- that last P that personal for a minute because I know that sure. that that you're a mom, and um, there's a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, and I think I know that was one of my biggest struggles in, in being a parent is trying to juggle. I hate the word balance because there's some days that, you know, your job's going to need you more than your, your kids. And your there's days where your kids are going to need you more than, than, than your job. And so it's, how do you get, I think I keep coming back to this word harmony. How do you harmonize around um, career relationships, like with your spouse or partner and, and your, and your kids when in your experience and, and, in working or having conversations with, with people, Jenny, how do you see a big difference in parents versus non-parents? Oh, I I got you on that one, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) You saw my wheels turning. I, I, parents have a lot on their plate, Paul. You've got four kids. I've got 50% of that. Mine, my son, Ari is seven. My daughter, Noah is five. Oh man, do they keep (laughs) me on my toes? So on one hand, I, I, I think it can be different as a parent. On the other hand, when I didn't have kids, I remember 
a, a night I was, and I'm not proud of this, a night I was at the office till maybe four o'clock in the morning because I was like going deep on this project. So on the other hand, that is hard when, you know, you're single, maybe dedicated to your career and you just are, you know, thinking this is the, is the time of my life where I'm going to put pedal to the metal and go really hard. Like that's, that's a lot of pressure, you know, someone young could be putting on themselves also. But as I think about how I, harmonize it all, if we want to not use the word balance, three things come to mind, intentionality, systems, and pride. Intentionality is, and I I have a lot of, my, I have a lot of mom guilt, Paul. My guilt only goes one way. If you think of being a worker and being a mother, I never think I should be giving more to my job. I never have that guilt. I do have a lot of, I should be spending more time with my kids guilt. And I think it's different for everybody. And I say that vulnerably because it's hard to admit that. And, you know, my kids do not listen to podcasts <laughs> at some point in the future. If they ever did, they'd probably throw that back at me and say, see, we told you, you should be spending more time with us. So, but the reason I bring up intentionality is I was talking about that guilt with an executive coach and, and she said, Jenny, you love your job. You love that you are helping tens of thousands of people. You love helping adults. You love having adult conversations. You love putting your ideas into the world. And you're still a great mom from everything you talk about, you know, in these sessions. And so she invited me to release myself of the guilt because she said, do you want to quit your job and be a stay-at-home mom? I was like, absolutely not. I get, I derive so much value and, and joy from this. She said, well, accept that and just be intentional about it. And that was such a mindset shift around dropping some of that mom guilt because I'm not going to quit my job. I'm not going to go part-time. I'm not going to stop expanding my thought leadership outside of Google, because I fundamentally believe it's, it brings me joy. It helps people and it's fun. So once I had this new view on my intentionality around being a, not just a working mom, but a hard working, hard charging executive mom, it did help me release some of the guilt of thinking I'm struggling to balance it all because my, I'm intentionally leaning into my career and to helping all these people because I, I feel it is important. That was intentionality. Number two, systems. I love the James Clear quote from his book, Atomic Habits. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And by that, I mean, how can I, going back to intentionality, intentionally spend time with my kids in meaningful ways. And it's all about quality, not quantity. So for example, if I wanted to spend more time with my kids, that is a goal that is very pie in the sky, very ivory tower, quote, spend more time with my kids, unquote. That is a goal, but it's meaningless without the direct actions behind it. And those are the systems as James Clear talks about. You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. So the goal would be spend more time with my kids. This system might be put on my calendar Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7.30 to 8.15 a.m., walk kids to school. Make it public instead of it saying, don't schedule, literally have it say, because our calendars are public at Google, have it say, walking kids to school, I cannot take meetings at this time. Share it with my team. Remind them in our team meeting, this is my non-negotiable. This is important for my work-life harmony. These are all systems systematic things I can put into place, putting it on calendar, being intentional of the calendar title, sharing it with my team, making it public. Those are systems that then make it easy because I'm not going to have that meeting that comes up that prevents me from my goal of spending more time with my kids. So that to me is systems and it is a critical way to actualize your goals. 
And finally, I, I, I mentioned pride. I feel that I am giving my kids a lot by being a hardworking mom. I'm teaching them work ethic. I'm teaching them the value of helping others. I'm teaching them that I'm teaching them economics. I'm teaching them strategy. I'm teaching them prioritization. I'm teaching them productivity. And these are all skills that I want them to have later in life. So whereas oftentimes I walk around feeling guilty, like I should be spending more time with them. This is a little vignette of, I also fly airplanes for fun in my spare time. And so whenever we get on a commercial flight, my son always likes to go to the cockpit and check it out and talk to the pilot and the co-pilot. And my son knows I'm writing a book and, and that I do podcasts as a guest and, and that I'm a pilot, obviously. So he's walking out of the cockpit on this commercial flight the other day, and he turns back to the captain and the, the pilot and co-pilot. And he says, and just so you know, my mom is a famous pilot, a famous author, and a famous podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) And I am none of those three. I I do all those activities. (laughs) I'm not famous for any of those three, but it just highlighted to me the pride he experiences from what I do. So if I can shift that mindset from feeling guilty to feeling proud because my kids are proud of me, that is pretty significant and profound. And I think and I'm very empathetic when it comes to moms because I, I think it's, I don't know, the whole biological thing, maybe like, you know, male, female, where I think moms have that way, way much harder than dads do. I'm not saying that there's not dads out there that are, that, that don't, but I know for me personally, in my, you know, my relationship with my wife, Teresa, um, I, I know that over these last 12 years, there's definitely been, um, a lot of a lot of guilt about not being able to spend time with with the kids, and I I noticed that how she's making some of these like really like incremental changes by being able to work from home a lot more often and being able to say goodbye to the kids in the morning, tell them that she loves them, and give them a hug because before she wasn't in a in a situation where she could do that and. And I was, and sometimes I wish I was, would have been the opposite, but I I think the one thing that you, that, that really stuck with me about what you just pointed out was this teaching of kids of being a hardworking mom. And cause I get that from my, my kids all the time. Like dad, you work a lot and they, they have a good idea of what I, I do, especially my, my girl triplet Madison. Um, But I'm wondering if she will pick up on that. Like that, yes, I'm working hard and, and it's, this is why I'm working hard. Not that I'm working hard not to spend or to avoid spending time with her. Yeah. And it's, this is not all rainbows and sunshine, right? It is it, kids want a hundred percent of their parents' undivided attention at every moment, ideally 200%, 100% from mom, 100% from dad. I mean, that yeah. is the kid holy grail. And I, I mean, I, I, can, I can still relate. Uh, I, I still want my parents' attention. I, I, I understand it's just a biological need. I, and I get plenty of flack from my kids about working hard. I, I oftentimes have meetings at night with Asia and I was kind of rushing bedtime the other night. And my, I said, I said, Noah, go to bed. We've done 
you know, the stories, what we call the curtain calls, the curtain calls are when they keep coming out of their room. That's something my mom used to say that I did as a kid. So we did all these curtain calls and I was like, Noah, go to bed. I need to take this meeting. And she said to me, mom, you don't need to take the meeting. You want to take the meeting. So children are our best Uh. teachers. Yes. And, and so I do think this is legitimately hard. It wouldn't be fair for me to sit on this side of the mic and say, it's all rainbows and sunshine and our kids are proud of us. And I I try to reframe the mindset on it because it can be so hard as a working parent, but there are legitimate times, many, many, many times a day where it's just really hard to be a working parent and it is hard to find harmony. And, and I think it's about prioritizing the, the meaningful moments for your kids I would never miss my kids' choir performance or the the gymnastics, you know, end of year uh, big production or, or whatever it is. And I'm not saying I only prioritize the end of year one thing a year, you know, for the kids. But I think it's about releasing yourself of the guilt that you can't do every pickup or every drop off and showing up for them when it matters and listening to their signals. My son had a field trip last week. And he said, mom, did you know that parents could come on field trips? <laughs> and just seeing how he said it, it helped me understand it was really important to him. And this was the first field trip he's had post COVID. And, but the delight in his eyes at the idea that I might be able to, that I, his parent might be able to do that one day told me that that's an important signal to pay attention to. So even if it means canceling meetings or planning my schedule ahead or making sure I'm not traveling the next time he has a field trip, that's a biggie to pay attention to. That would be a meaningful moment for him based on the delight in his eyes when he said, parents can come on field trips, mom. How cool is that? Did you know? And I did know I didn't prioritize it from that particular field trip, but now he sent me a signal that I should in the future and I can and I will. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because- kids as well as your spouse or partner they'll tell you what they need or want you just have to listen and that's and that's the hardest thing is is going back to what you're talking about is like the 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 slowing down and i had this conversation it seems like i have it frequently with a lot of people but as we've now come back out of covid or hopefully on the other side of it um as parents a lot of us have rushed back into not necessarily over scheduling, or probably some of us have, but to go from I have. <laughs> to go from having like the 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 pre-COVID world where it was go 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 go, and then to have the the break just slam down abruptly to stop, and now turning that back on, I think it feels like things are moving even faster than they were before. Yeah, I loved COVID. I am such a homebody. I am which shocks everybody, an introvert. I embraced COVID like you cannot imagine, Paul. I just loved being home. I loved being with the family. I loved that there wasn't this coordination tax, this coordination tax of the birthday parties and the activities and the after-school like, you know, events and the play dates, which, and I, I say this with so much hesitation because my husband, John, is an incredible partner and an amazing father, and he shares a lot of the coordination tax burden. But I do think that oftentimes that can fall more on the moms than the dads because we just 
I don't know, maybe we're wired to think about like all this, like kids scheduling stuff. I don't know if that's nature or nurture or evolutionary psychology, but there's this coordination tax that I think sometimes not always falls more on the mom than the dad that was just absent during COVID. And I embraced that and loved it and miss it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think like there's things like from that coordination standpoint that Teresa just naturally thinks about and I don't, but if it's, if, if she tells me like what she needs, or again, it comes back to listening and trying to pick up on some cues from her. I'm like, okay, I'll, I need to take this off of your plate or can I help do something? Um, because I'm like, I always make sure that I, I'm, I'm doing what I can to take stress and relief off of her shoulders because I'm the one that has the more flexible job with, with the business as opposed to her being in corporate. It's, it's still more structured. And so we, we try to balance, or there we go with that word balance. We try to create some harmony between us, but to your point, like you said earlier, like there's days where we, you know, hit a home run and then there's days where we strike out and um, it's just coming back and, starting a day over. Like we've had this phrase, we've been taking these these triplets plus one, one day at a time. And that has turned into almost 12 years. And I remember, I, pro- I know I've said this multiple times on the show is that somebody, when I first told them I was having triplets, I said, be very careful, be very careful. The days are long and the years are short. Years are short. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I mentioned, when we first started the conversation, you know, 10 years goes by like that tomorrow because, you know, McKenzie, our plus one turns 10. And it's like, it, it's, um, it's trying. I, I, sometimes I feel like the harder we try to slow it down, the faster life goes. Yeah. And that's where meditation, mindfulness, presence all come in and slowing down is critical. It is, it is not my strong suit. And I think this is not my strong suit. To circle that back to to the, the the topic of career, I think a lot of people, even though they want to make a change or want to see change, coming back to this, I think this um, this flip acronym that you gave us is, I think, really crucial because it's taking that step back, like giving yourself an hour a week to just think about, okay, what is it that I really want with my career, and I think you know, what you've laid out with this, this flip acronym, I think is really crucial, but I think what people still struggle with is giving themselves the grace to give themselves that damn one hour a week to do something for themselves. That's really critical. Yeah. And that to me just comes down to being strategic. And I was on a panel last week and uh, actually with, I was interviewing Jenny Blake who wrote the book free time and the book pivot. She's amazing. And somebody in the audience said, I have, or maybe Jenny said it first. She said, you know, I was once told that I wasn't strategic. And then somebody in the audience raised their hand and said, I was told a female, I was told I wasn't strategic also. And then I I said, okay, can we just pause for a moment? Because there's research that suggests that women are more often than men told that they are not strategic. And I said, I just want every woman in this room or anybody who's watching this live stream to recognize that you are strategic, even if you've gotten the feedback that you're not strategic. Strategy is simply, what are you going to do versus what are you not going to do? And as women, I think we're 
incredibly strategic. We're strategic in the home. We're strategic with our kids. We're strategic with our spouses. We're strategic with our jobs. We're strategic. Like we have this cognitive load and this is not just women. This is all people, but it goes back to because we sometimes are burdened with extra coordination tax, we have to be extra strategic. So to any woman listening who's ever gotten the feedback, you are not strategic or you know, you're know you're not thinking from a, a strategic standpoint or you need to up-level on strategy, I just want you to all push back on that because you are all strategic and the men listening too. And it's simply, what are you going to do? What are you not going to do? And so it is a very strategic move to take that one hour that you're talking about, Paul, and write down walk through the flip framework and write down your answers or look at your to-do list and use the four D's on each of the 25 items on your to-do list on a Monday morning. Those four D's are drop, delegate, do, and delay. What am I going to drop? What am I going to delegate? What am I going to do? And what am I going to delay on this long to-do list? Because that is strategy, but not being strategic is just waking up Monday morning, opening up your inbox and all your other inboxes, right? Your email, your LinkedIn, your you name it, personal, professional, and just like a robot responding to people when that's not the best value of your time. So it does take a strategic step to think about what do I want to do in this first hour Monday morning versus what do I want to not do? What we automatically do is we open our inbox and start replying. What I invite every listener to consciously do is be strategic about an hour of planning, or I oftentimes have a full planning day once a month on a Monday where I stay out of my inbox and I open up slides and docs and I write or I update my resume or I do things that are really intentional because it's very easy to just push those off to another day, push them off to another day. But to be strategic, you need to make the call to carve out time for those things. And again, it comes back to not rising to the level of your goals, but falling to the level of your systems. If your goal is, I want to think about my career, that is just too high level, too pie in the sky. Your system is to book the time for one hour on a Monday, call it career deep dive thinking write down the things you want to accomplish, which might be walking through the flip framework, or it might be looking at five new roles on LinkedIn or internally at your company. Like Those are the systems that you put into place. The goal is oftentimes too high level. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you there. It's, it's the whole metaphor of biting the elephant one bite at a time. I think, again, I think it goes back to this people uh, having this fear of taking the first step because they're so overwhelmed, whether it's your career or putting together a financial plan. And hopefully that's one of the things that I show people, at least from the financial planning perspective, is like, this is a journey. If you think you're just going to come into my office, I'm going to give you all these answers. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> like this is, this is ongoing, just like your career is ongoing. You need, you, you need to put the time in to, get to where you want to go. And again, it starts back with like the new planning process that I just put into place this, this past year has been really focused on, on what is your values and purpose as a family? What are your objectives and goals? And then what are the action items that we need to do that supports those objectives, which supports your purpose? And it, it has nothing to, those really, for the most part, have nothing to do with numbers. Like, and that's what, people are always like, give me a, like a weird look. I'm like, 
wait, I, I came to talk to you about numbers, not how I'm feeling. And I'm like, you don't, this is what most people don't understand how you feeling affects the numbers and vice versa. <laughs> Totally. And, you know, I oftentimes say to my financial planner, planner, you know, you're as much a therapist as you are a financial planner, right? And I imagine you have to feel the same way, Paul. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's, I think, a good thing that's changing in this industry because there's a lot of bad stereotypes still out there. And a lot of the, the continuing education, most people don't realize how much we have to do as a, like, I'm a certified financial planner and an enrolled agent with the IRS. So I have to take, you know, literally like 20 to 30 hours a year of just continuing education. And I try to focus that on where did my people, where do my families need the most help? And it always comes back to the behavioral side of things. And that's one of the reasons why this podcast was pretty much born two years ago was to have conversations with people like you and experts that can help on that side of the ledger, if you will. Um, there's a, there's a reason why it's called the emotional balance sheet. <laughs> right, exactly. I love that. Another thing that comes to mind with respect to how do you take the first step, whether it's the first step of calling a financial planner or the first step of calling a personal trainer at the gym or the first step of deciding you're going to leave your role and look for a new one, is focusing on what do I have versus what do I not have? What do I have versus what do I not have? So if you take finding your next job, you might look at a job rack online and read 20 bullets and focus on, well, there are 14 that I don't have and that's it. Then you put the kibosh on it. You tell yourself, you, you play it small, you don't apply. But if you focus on the six that you do have and you focus on the fact that you have other unique things you bring to the table, maybe you don't have that industry experience, but you do have fresh perspective. Maybe you don't know anybody at that company, but you do have the grit and the tenacity to reach out to somebody cold on LinkedIn and ask for a 15-minute coffee chat about that conversation. Maybe you don't have a consulting background that they're looking for, but you do have similar experience in your industry in marketing, and you've done consulting type of activities in the job you've been doing for the last five years. So by focusing on what you have versus what you don't have, it can also help you overcome that first step because so much of blockers in, in change or transition is fear. So much is fear and the, the fear, the insecurity, the thinking, I'm never going to get it. Everybody else is more qualified, smarter, brighter than I am, or the fear when trying to get a financial planner. I don't understand the numbers. I, I know to max out my 401k, but I could never pretend to know anything beyond that. Or a lot of times for women, I, this is, this is the, the husband's job. I, my, my responsibility is not to be in charge of our financial plan. My husband and I are very much equal partners in our financial plan and our family, but I know that's not the case for everybody and that women in particular can get overwhelmed and really intimidated by anything in the personal finance industry. And it's a shame and it's fear-based. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why when, when I'm meeting with a family, whoever is the primarily financial dominant partner, if you will, is to make sure that they're both on the same page. And, and the, one of the reasons why I tell them is that if something happens to either of you, the other one will have to step in, especially with what I do. I mainly work with families is like, you're, you need to be there for your family. You, you, you owe it to your family to have a level of understanding um, that 
okay, this is what's going to happen. So I, I completely agree with you. Uh, by the way, I assume a lot of your audience is, is listening to this in, interested, hopefully, in, in you know getting deeper into financial planning, etc. I will share this story because it might be interesting for anybody in the industry listening to this. I have a friend who fired their financial planner because she was as knowledgeable, as invested, and as leaned in to the conversations around financial planning. And yet, whenever their financial planner met with them, he only looked at the husband. Oh, that's a no-no. He only that's looked a- at the husband. <laughs> Even though she was answering questions and she was involved in the conversation, the eye, the eye contact was always directed at the husband. So that's an interesting interesting thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I've still got like a whole list of questions. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. We, we, we took a left turn on this conversation and that's how every good podcast should be. That's right. So, but let, let me bring it back to talk, talk to us about your new site. And, and I, I, I've been on it. Um, walk us through what people should be looking for. Um, talk to us also about the, this five-step guide that you put out, because I think that kind of goes back to, I think what's been central to our, this conversation is what are these first steps that sh- people should be considering, whether it's career, financial planning. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny that we've talked, we've probably talked more about financial planning on this, on this conversation than I have in the, the two years I've been doing interviews. Cause that's another misconception is that people that know I'm a financial planner think that, well, that must be a podcast about numbers and finance. And it really isn't. <laughs> No, we, I talked about mom guilt. Um, <laughs> the, the website is very exciting. It's, as I mentioned before, it's jennywood.com. And it is the place to go if you want to achieve your goals unapologetically. Or I think the landing page says, get what you want unapologetically. The five tip guide is how you can start using tiny actions that will have big impact in your life. For one, for example, is know your superpowers. Know the three things that you're good at, whether this is if you're showing up to a community board and uh, or a PTA meeting and you're trying to figure out where you can add value. Are you the finance person? Are you the community person? Are you the connector? Know your three superpowers, leverage them, have them practiced and ready to roll off your tongue in any situation, whether it's a mentorship, a mentorship meeting with a new mentor or you're rolling up to a PTA meeting or a board meeting. Uh, Another example is don't be scared to raise your hand, whether that is in your VP's fireside chat or whether that's at the doctor's office and you have more questions about some things she is sharing with you about your health. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask. Curiosity and I'll even call it nosiness with a really positive spin can get you pretty far in life because the more you ask and the more you know, the better you can tailor your goals and your uh, time to where you'll have the maximum impact. And of course, better any situation in life if it relates to health or relationships, et cetera. So the, the five-step guide is just a free download. Nothing, I, I, have, I have no there's no company. There's no, it's simply my journey and helping other, I'm not selling anything. There's nothing I'm, I'm, there's nothing to buy or no service to, to, you know, that I offer on the website. You can follow my, my journey there. And I, I just try to help people because I simply find, find joy from it. So, and I have a biweekly newsletter where I share tips to 
simply chase what you want unapologetically. The, the, the phrase, the chase, is because I met my husband by chasing him off the New York City subway. So a lot of the, the if you go to the My Story tab on the website, you can read all about how I met my husband by chasing him off the New York City subway, which in turn taught me that when I sit idly by, life happens to me. But when I chase the life I want, I create the life I want. Well, that was ironic because before I get to my, before I was going to get to my closing question, I wanted to kind of wrap up with that last story. And so I'll have, we'll have links in the show notes to itsjennywood.com, your LinkedIn profile, and also this New York Times article about how you met your husband. But if you could just, you, you teased that really well, Jenny, but I, if you could just go a little bit deeper, because like I, when I read that, I was like, holy, that, that lady has some. <laughs> she, <laughs> that lady is going after what she wants unapologetically. And that's why she's <laughs> helping other people do the same is what you were thinking. No, I think there was a different word you were thinking, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, I was riding the subway home from work in 2000. This is New York. New York City, riding the subway home from work, packed train, middle of a blizzard. And I saw this good looking guy sitting about 30 feet, standing rather about 30 feet away from me. And I thought, wow, he's really good looking. I wonder what he's all about, where he's going. And maybe if he gets off at my stop, I'll try to strike up a conversation with him. But he then got off at the next stop. All the people got off the train. The new people got on the train. I said, okay, that's the universe telling me it wasn't meant to be. And then just as the doors were about to close, I thought, no, <laughs> forget the universe. Yeah, I'm running universe. off the yeah. train. And so I ran after him. I caught up with him and I gave him my business card. I said, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. You were on my train and I thought you were cute. Any chance I could give you my business card? And this is now my husband of nearly 10 years. And we have these two wonderful, precocious children together. And and he helps me manage my life and my career and our kids and shares the burden at home while he manages his own really successful career. So that is what happens when you go after what you want. Because if you don't, you will always wonder. And I would so much rather have an answer, even if the answer is no, Yeah. whether it's for a job application or a project I want to work on at work or a stranger on the subway who I say, can I give you my business card? I'd rather have the answer be no, because then you just move on than have to sit and wonder because I don't like uncertainty. I don't like not knowing. <laughs> I want answers. I like clarity. So why not try to get that clarity, even if the answer is no, because the answer will be no sometimes, but so what? He would have gone on with his life. I would have never seen him again. A lot of people in New York City. And I would have had my answer, which to me feels much more comforting. Even if the answer is no, that clarity is much more comforting than the uncertainty, which I find very uncomfortable. One statement and one question, follow-up sure. question. Statement is, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, your husband is a future podcast uh, episode or conversation on, <laughs> on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast, for sure. Uh, so looking forward to connecting with him. The question is, what was his reaction when you, <laughs> when you, when you pop off the train, say, hey, I think you're good looking. Here's my card. <laughs> I think he was flattered. I mean, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> who wouldn't be? And I think that's the misconception, especially in this unusual, un, unsocietal norm situation where it was the, the female. I think this has probably changed even more over the last 10 years. But I, I think that a woman wouldn't do it thinking, oh, it's too much or it's too aggressive. But 
flattery is universal. Flattery is something that all people find pretty nice. Yes. So I, I think he was flattered, though I will say his actual reaction was, is she selling me flowers? Because I was holding a, a bunch of Gerber, yellow Gerber daisies because I had just come from acapella rehearsal at Google because that's another thing I enjoy doing. And there had been an event in the rehearsal space and I a bunch of us took home flowers. And so I was holding this bunch of Gerber daisies and he thought I was gonna trying to sell him flowers. So that was his literal first reaction. But I think his secondary reaction was, well, oh, that, this is this is pretty cool. Why 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 would I not be flattered? Oh, uh, that is that's that is so awesome. When I first read that article in the Times, I was like that I was like blown away. I told Teresa like you got to read this. You, you got to read this. <laughs> and a lot. I mean that that is the premise of the book. The book will open with me chasing him off the subway. I I hope I assume that's my my idea because it is a powerful story about going after what you want and how if you don't ask for it you are not going to get it. If you ask for it, you might not get it, but you might. And why not take more shots on goal? Right. My actually my career, my one of my uh coaches, he's got this phrase for me is shoot the puck. And I I actually tell Teresa this all the time like oh it's the Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the the shots you don't take. So Exactly. 100%. So that'll so now I'll get to my final closing question I ask everyone. Hope you're ready for this. Uh, we'll what see. is what is the best thing about being a parent? There are so many. The snuggles. The snuggles and those those quiet moments at night when they tell you your secrets. So so maybe they wake you up in the middle of the night because they've had a nightmare or they can't sleep or they have to go to the bathroom. And then you walk back to their bed, you snuggle with them, and they're still awake and alert and not ready to go back to sleep yet. And that's when they tell you your, their secrets. That's when you say, so how was school today? And when you ask them at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday, fine, one answer, yeah. fine. But when you ask them at 3 a.m., how was school today? That's when they tell you their secrets. That's when they say, it was hard because I'm struggling with reading still, or it was really special that you know, Andrew wanted to play with me on the playgrounds today. So the snuggles. Uh, well, I think that is a really great way to wrap up. Uh, I'll call it this first conversation, Jenny, because I'm, I'm, I know there's going to be some uh, more in our future. So um, we're going to make sure we link to everything in the show notes um, on your new site. And uh, I can't thank you for uh, what a great conversation. And I know that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this uh, as well. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.